Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, which is timeless, which is always true. It does not matter what generation lives on this earth, uh, they are true words because they come from your heart, they come from who you are, they're based in who you are. Uh, They speak to uh, who we are before a holy God, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Uh, It speaks of how we should live the Christian life so that we can better glorify you each and every day. Uh, It speaks to uh, the glorious gospel good news that we are uh, commanded to go and to share, to make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything uh, that they've been taught. And uh, so, Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning as we look into your word, as we dig a little bit deeper into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, may we see the importance of this spirit of unity uh, in the bond of peace. Uh, and so, Father, we want to give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Today is part five, and this uh, finishes out really this uh, section of Ephesians chapter four, as we have been looking at verses one to three, as we consider uh, what Paul says there as a prisoner for the Lord, as he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And as you know, over the last uh, four weeks, we have taken a look at uh, four different aspects of Uh, what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy. Uh, And these are crucial. These are important. These are something that should characterize every believer in Jesus Christ because they are based in the Bible. They are based in what the Holy Spirit does in transforming us so that we can actually do these things in such a way that it glorifies God. Uh, Because apart from the Spirit... We cannot be humble. Apart from the Spirit, we cannot be gentle or patient or bear with one another in love. Uh, That is something that the Spirit must give to us and work in and through us to accomplish. And so as we refresh our memories in those uh, one-sentence statements of each one of these uh, facets, these characteristics of walking in a manner worthy, uh, we know that biblical humility is a lowliness of mind. Uh, that ceases living only to self as one considers the needs of others above their own. Embracing God's authority and provision by casting all burdens on the Lord, thereby experiencing godly contentment. That's what biblical humility looks like. Then we took a look at what biblical meekness is, and that is a willful acceptance of what God has ordained no matter what that may be showing power under control and a redirecting of our focus to God's higher thoughts and ways. Then we took a look at biblical patience, which is the quality of a person who is able to avenge himself, yet refrains from doing so, exhibiting a godly enduring and waiting. And then last time, last week, we took a look at what biblically bearing with one another in love is. Uh, And it's more than just putting up with or tolerating the differences, difficulties, and frustrations uh, that relationships can present. Uh, This forbearing love takes insult after insult while giving endlessly and wholeheartedly. 
And so with that as our foundation, with that as what is characteristic of someone who has a calling uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, a calling out of death into life, uh, a calling that has transformed them from the inside out. It's not just a dressing up of the outside for others to see because God looks internally. He looks deep down within us to know uh, who we are, uh, the places that people cannot see. And so what we find ourselves at today in verse 3 is what I am I'm calling the outgrowth of walking this way. This is the outgrowth of walking in humility, meekness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. Uh, and so what is it? It says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what is the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Because in order for us to maintain it, in order for us to see that we are to eagerly maintain it, we first need to know what this unity is. Is it something that we manufacture? Is it something that we are able to conjure up uh, in our own abilities? Is it something that we can mimic as we look at other people? Uh, is it something that uh, we can, uh, you know, in our own strength put forth? Uh, and I think the answer to those questions can be found in a couple scriptures outside of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, so if you want to keep your finger in, in chapter 4, verse 3, uh, or if you've got that verse memorized by now, you don't have to even keep your finger there. Uh, but let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because I want to answer this question, what is the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 12, and we'll read through verse 13. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and are all were made to drink of one spirit. So when we consider what this unity of the spirit is, we need to see the, the connection between the Son, the Father, and the Spirit. Because as we've learned in Ephesians, all the way back to the very beginning, is that salvation belongs to God. We cannot save ourselves. Only God saves. And only Jesus is the way through which we can be saved. He is the way. There is no other way. There is no other thing that you can do in and of yourself to experience this uh, Oneness, this unity with God apart from Jesus and apart from the Spirit. Because you'll notice it says, just as the body has many members and all of one body, though many are still one body. This is one body physically. Does all the pieces of my body cooperate at all points at any given time, at any given day of the week? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, I'm standing here this morning and my back is hurting and so the rest of my body is, you know, compensating for that. But I'm still one body. As much as I would like to take my back out, uh, I guess I would be spineless at that point and maybe not be able to, you know, proclaim the word of God to you this morning. But the thing is, it's one body, and it says, so it is with Christ. So this oneness that we can look at from our physical bodies, we need to see it through the spiritual realm as well, because one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. So the spirit regenerates us. The spirit is the one who brings us to the point of seeing our need of a savior. 
He is the one that opens our eyes to spiritual things. He is the one that, you know, helps us begin that, that uh, act of being born again. You know, because we know as, you know, Nicodemus was told, you must be born again. Okay, because you cannot do this spiritual thing in and of yourself. Going to church does not make you right with God. You know, reading your Bible does not make you right with God. Praying to God does not make you right with God. What makes you right with God is Jesus Christ. He is the one that cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He is the one who paid the price, or as we we talk about the wage for your sin. So the Spirit regenerates. And what the Spirit also does in this unity is he breaks down all fleshly barriers. You'll notice it says Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. So there, there is nothing that is going to impede God's work of salvation. There's nothing that's going to impede this unity of the Spirit because this unity is based in the power of God and what the Spirit does in erasing all of the boundaries, all of the, the barriers, the barricades, all the things that man would erect to complicate being right with God. And you can look at religious you know, uh, beliefs, from centuries before even to what people believe today, a man is still trying to figure out how they can hopefully be right with God, if God does exist. Well, see, the thing is, we don't have to guess. We can know because as the Spirit regenerates, He also breaks down every barrier. So, you know, whether you're a Jew or Gentile here this morning, it doesn't matter because Christ's blood covers the sin of both Jew and Gentile. It removes the sin of Jew and Gentile. It also removes the sin of someone who is slave or free. Or you go to another scripture, it even says male or female. You know, all those things that, that divide us or separate us. Now, it doesn't mean that God is somehow just generically, you know, does not know you by name because the scriptures also make that very clear that he knows his, his children. He knows everyone that the Father has given to him and he loses none. So there's personal aspect there. But the the thing that would inevitably divide us if we were given the opportunity to say, well, this is what is necessary for salvation, God says, no. My son is able to save to the uttermost. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free. We were all made to drink in one spirit. See, the spirit is the one that baptizes us into the body of Christ. He is the one who indwells us. He is that unifying factor, that unifying individual within the Godhead that brings all of this together from start to finish because he's also the seal to the day of redemption. So he starts out in regenerating and seals us to the day of redemption. So without the Spirit, there is no salvation. Just like without Christ, there's no salvation. Without the Father, there is no salvation because the Father sent the Son. And when the Son did what he was supposed to do and was raised from the dead, who did he send in his place? the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So you see how God is unified in salvation? Well, that is exactly what we have pictured here when we think about this unity of the Spirit. Flip back a a couple pages to Romans chapter 8, because you're real close there in 1 Corinthians 12. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. 
which is kind of the answer to the question, am I washed in the blood? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So we have the Spirit not only being the one that regenerates, that breaks down the fleshly barriers, who baptizes us into one body, who indwells us, who is the seal until the day of redemption, he is also life. So there's no life apart from the Spirit, just like there's no life apart from Jesus. There's no life apart from the Father. We're either spiritually dead, loving self and living for self, or we're alive because of the Spirit. He is the one that unifies us to the Father. He's the one that, you know, takes the, the blood of the Son and is the one that uh, ends up uh, applying that to that believer as they are born again. See, there's no aspect in which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not involved in your salvation. And the same is true in relation to this unity of the Spirit that we're talking about. Colossians chapter 3. Got you going the other direction towards Revelation. Colossians, yeah, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Well, is this the love of man? Is this the love of the world? Is, or is this the love of God? Okay, if you need to know the answer to that question, it's the love of God. That is the love that we are to put on that binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. See, again, you see this, this same message being proclaimed that we are called to one body. See, it's not a bunch of factions, as it were, in relation to those that belong to Jesus Christ, that have experienced salvation, that have been washed white as snow. Because we are all on that same level playing field as we talked about at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We are all sinners that cannot save ourselves. We need someone to bring unity where there is no unity at all. And see, this unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is the same peace that we are, you know, said, it says here in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because we are at peace with God because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, and because of the Father. That's what salvation does. It rights the wrong. It undoes the things that we've done that put us at, at, at odds with God. See, that's why there's no other way. No other blood would do. Even the Old Testament sacrifices were looking forward to that point when the Son of God would take on flesh and die on Calvary and shed his own blood. So that as, you know, the believers that believed in God prior to Christ's coming were washing that same blood going back to the beginning, as well as those that we look back to that event as history when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that same blood washed us clean, unified us in this unity of the Spirit. Because this unity, as we're going to find as you're turning to John chapter 17 here, is something that dwells within the Godhead itself and therefore is going to be a unity that is going to be characteristic of who we are 
in Christ. So turn over to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. As you know, this is Christ's high priestly prayer. And this is going to help you understand that we do not create this unity, that it is a unity of the Spirit, but it's also a unity, as we look scripturally, that is within the Godhead. So the Father is not over here doing his thing. The Son's, you know, saying, well, you know what? I'm tired of heaven. I'm going to come down to earth and do my own thing. And the Spirit just is, you know, popping in and out wherever he wants. No, there's unity within the Godhead. Our God does not change. Our God had a plan from uh, before the very foundations of the world. And so we did not create this unity. And we can look right here at John chapter 17 and see as Jesus is praying for the disciples, those that you know, believed in him, not only there, but also speaking to us, those that would yet come. So look at verse 11. He says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So where does this unity, this oneness come from? What comes because it is part of the Godhead. We are unified with the God of all. You're not just unified with the Father. You're not just unified with the Son. You're not just unified with the Holy Spirit. You're unified with all three in one. Because you've been made right with God. Because the same standard of righteousness is the same standard of righteousness from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You don't have to worry about there being different levels we are all one because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Jump down to verse 20, same chapter. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, who's that? Well, that word went forth. That word is right here, hopefully right in your lap. And so that word went forth, and guess what? If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then that's who he's talking about here. For those who would believe in Jesus through the proclamation of the word, the proclamation of the gospel of salvation. So that verse 21, that they may all be what? One. And I know within Christendom, there's all kinds of, of, you know, you know, the First Baptist Church of, or the Second Baptist Church of, or the, you know, Presbyterian or Methodist or, you know, whatever label we're going to put on a church. Now, doctrine is important, don't get me wrong. But there's one thing that unifies each and every genuine believer, and that is the unity that comes from the Spirit, the unity that is within the Godhead between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Do you see that unifying factor? Because that's what's happened. We've been reconciled to God. We are no longer strangers, no longer aliens. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. What the blood of Jesus does, it unifies us through the spirit of unity, because that unity is within the Godhead. And notice, and this is important, there's a reason for that unity. 
or I should say there's a, a result from that unity and what it's going to accomplish. Because here's that, I've talked to you about the Hina clause in Greek. Here it is, so that. So here's the, 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 the application of that they all may be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Not because there's a bunch of factions, not because there's a bunch of divisions, but because we're all one in Jesus Christ, because we're all one in the Spirit, because we're all one in the Father. Verse 22, the glory that you have uh, given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as you are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Again, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Isn't that beautiful? And this is not happenstance. This is, this is something miraculous coming from the God of all. Where he's taking that which is, you know, as you look at the world, look at the disunity Anywhere you look. And that disunity has a root. And that root is sinful rebellion against the God of all. And the only one that can erase, the only one that can transform, the only one that can replace all that disunity is the unifying God of all. Through the blood of his son, through faith and trust in him and him alone. See, we don't create this unity. It says there that we are to maintain it, keep it. Now, can we lose the overall unity? Can we lose our salvation? Can we be unwashed by the blood of the Lamb? The answer to that question is absolutely not. But can we put a stumbling block in between us and a brother or sister in Christ or between, you know, one church as opposed to another, yes, we can. Because we still have flesh. We still have a sin nature. We're just not a slave to it. There is a battle raging on. And so the, the, the command here is to maintain this spirit of unity in the bond of peace, is to remember who you are in Christ Jesus, to remember that Unity is so that the rest of the world may know of Jesus Christ and that the Father sent Jesus Christ for the purpose, out of love, to provide salvation to all who believe. See, we don't create this unity because this unity is in God. We are given this unity through Jesus Christ, through the Spirit, and through the Father. But we are called to keep it, maintain it, Guard it, not at the cost of truth, because again, God's truth, you know, sanctify them uh, in your word. Your word is truth. We are growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So unity is not just the, the, the end goal no matter what. Unity is there for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus Christ. And it's always based in the truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior that Jesus Christ is coming back again someday, that all will die, and after that comes judgment. Truths that we can look at it from the word of God. So we need to keep that. We need to, to safeguard the gospel so it does not become something that's not, so that people get a false sense of what unity is or a false security in thinking that they're saved when they're not. 
eager to maintain. That word eager in Greek means to make haste, hence to be zealous or eager to give diligence. So in other words, not only are we to maintain or keep this unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, safeguarding it by being humble, meek, patient, and bearing with one another in love. Again, don't forget our context. But we're to be eager to maintain it. We see the same word used in 2 Peter chapter 1 where it says, For this very reason, make every effort. That phrase, make every effort, is the same Greek word. To supplement your faith with virtue, with, and virtue with so and so forth. Same chapter, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. So be diligent, brothers and sisters in Christ, to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. Make haste, be zealous for it. Make every effort to maintain unity while standing on the truth of the word of God. A story is told about a father who catches his two sons quarreling. He calls them in and gives them, or gives the oldest one a small stick and asks him to snap it. The son did so with a rebellious smirk on his face. I, can, I would be that son, by the way. Not realizing my father was about ready to teach me something. Matter of fact, this could be a, an actual story in my life with my brother, because I have a younger brother, three years younger, and we quarreled a lot. It says the father handed him two sticks together and asked him to snap the two, which he did easily. Then it was three, four, five, and then six. By the time the boy was straining to snap the sticks, finally with seven sticks, he had to admit defeat. Then the father cautioned his sons that a house divided cannot stand. See, the thing is, is we can find all kinds of things to quarrel about. We can find all kinds of things that can cause disunity because it's not in the spirit. Because we are individuals that still have a sin nature. And the thing is, is what we are doing is each and every day praying to God to help eradicate that sin nature so that I pursue righteousness and justice and everything that pertains to the, the fruit of the spirit that indwells each and every believer and not acting on that sinful flesh any longer. We've had enough of that. But the thing is, is that sometimes that can, you know, cause us to stumble and fall. We can give in to that temptation. And just like these two boys that are fighting with one another, quarreling with one another, and the father's trying to point out that as the, the sticks are unified, it's harder and harder to break them. And the same is true in relation to a church family. That the more of us that are unified in the spirit, the more of us that eagerly maintain this unity, the harder it is for the world to break us harder it is for someone from without or even someone from within to break us. That's why it's important for us to be eager to maintain this unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So how should this inform our lives today? I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4, because the first example I'm going to give to you, well, actually both examples are going to be out of the, the Bible, but the first one is out of Acts chapter 4, uh, 5, and 6. 
We're not going to read all three of those chapters. I'm going to pick a few verses, but know this. This is the early church, and the church was growing. Uh, they were having their faith stretched and deepened, and it's, it gives an account in here that thousands were believing in Jesus Christ, thousands. Peter and John were brought before the council and ended up being released. And in chapter 4, verse 31, we see here that the, the, the young church, these believers that were, were uh, together because of who they were in Jesus Christ, pray for boldness. Look what it says in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, the thing is, is that there are opportunities that are going to come into the life of any church where we can either respond to it in a way that glorifies God or we can react to it. And here we have, after Peter and John being brought before the council and released, they're praying for boldness. They're praying that the word of God would go forth. See, the thing is, is they're not actually seeking unity. What they're seeking is for God to be glorified, that people would experience being born again in Jesus Christ. Look down at verses 32 and 33, same chapter. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of, notice, one heart and soul. And no one said to, uh, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. See, the thing is, is when we, we focus on God, when God is at the center of what we do, when we get up each and every day, when we come together to worship on Sunday, when we come together for Bible study, prayer meeting, when all the youth groups happen throughout the week, we can either do them in our own strength and in our own power, or we can do them unified by the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace so that God is glorified and not man or a program. You'll notice they were of one heart and one soul, and great grace was upon them because the oneness that they were experiencing was the oneness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, go one chapter ahead, chapter 5, verses 40 and 42. Because the apostles were arrested, they were beaten and freed. Notice what it says here. And again, this is the, 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 the infant church. It says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So it didn't matter that the apostles were arrested. It didn't matter that they were beaten because there was something that unified them. There was something that, that kept everything cohesive because that cohesion was based in the Trinity. It was based in God and not in the circumstances of life. And the church was at a, a crucial point. What do we do in response to this? Do we do like our forefathers and whine and complain about things and saying, well, it's not fair. Why are the apostles you know, in prison? Why are they being beaten? No, what they did is they focused on the Lord. And you'll notice it says every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It didn't even stop. There wasn't even a heart murmur. 
because what unified them was stronger and more powerful than anything that man could do. Chapter 6, verse 1. With all this, and there's, there's more, bef- I, 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 I cherry-picked, so you'll have to read the entire account to see everything that's going on. But chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, so all this stuff is happening, and notice, they continued to speak the word with boldness. There was great grace upon them all, and they didn't cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And so with that as the backdrop, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Here is the, the, the nexus. Here is that point at which, what is the church going to do? Are they going to allow this to be a stumbling block? Are they going to allow this to be an opportunity to start whining and complaining and saying, you know, uh, well, why isn't this happening? And notice what the, the, the disciples, the leaders do. If you look down at verse 3, they decided to come up with a solution to keep that unity. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. See, they came up with a solution. And as a result of that solution, looking to take care of the complaint, you'll notice they use the word complaint. It doesn't say need. It just says, it says complaint. Sometimes we complain about things in our own personal lives, sometimes in the life of the church, whatever the case might be. And that's the crucial moment. What are we going to do? Are we going to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Or are we going to seek our own personal preference or allow ourselves to go into that place of complaint? Which actually even ties into the Sunday school lesson I'm going to be teaching here in just a few moments to the kids this morning where the children of Israel were complaining about being freed from slavery in Egypt. And what did God do? He provided for them. Water, manna, quail. But they still complained. But see, there was a solution here. And notice in verse 7, right on the heels of this, after taking care of addressing what was happening that could have been a tremendous dividing. It could have caused a, a rift in this infant church. But they, they came up with a, a, a solution, and you'll notice it was men of good repute, full of the spirit, not full of the wisdom of men, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who they appointed to this duty. Notice verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, the thing is, when we are maintaining and eagerly maintaining the spirit of unity and the bond of peace, then we can watch as God works tremendous miracles. As we see here in the infant church, you know, thousands believed there was boldness to proclaim the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ, that there was great grace upon them all. But see, it was because they weren't seeking unity itself. They were seeking to glorify God, which produced a unity because God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit are unified. <clears throat> See, Satan seeks to divide. He seeks to divide the church through false teaching, through compromise, through fear, through animosity, through jealousy, through discord, through discouragement, through indifference and misunderstanding. 
because he's the happiest when the church is miserable. And see, the thing is, is, is when we are eagerly maintaining the spirit of unity in the bond of peace, that it doesn't matter what Satan throws our way. You know, and in the life of Ellington Baptist Church, as we see, you know, you, you may look around and say, I don't recognize everybody at Ellington Baptist Church. That's probably true because Ellington Baptist Church is changing. And we can choose to be eager to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace by keeping our focus on the Lord and glorifying Him through everything that we say, think, and do, whether it's on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Keep God the main thing. Let Him build His church. Let Him be glorified through all of this. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord being tuned not to each other, but to the one standard to which one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Do you see? When we turn our gaze towards God, when we make it all about God, how can we glorify God in what we're doing? How can I glorify God in coming to church each and every week? How can I glorify God by using my gift for the glory of God? How can I glorify God by eagerly maintaining the spirit of unity and the bond of peace? See, when we look away to Christ, that's when we are truly unified. That's what brings us together. Otherwise, we're looking here, there, and everywhere. And we'll find something over here, something over there to focus on that has nothing to do with what the main thing is. And that's God being glorified. Last example, Psalm 133.1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This is a wonderful and interesting verse. Because you'll notice it says, behold. So in other words, take notice, stop. This is something that is truly amazing when you get a chance to see it. It says, how good and pleasant. Now, how many times have you seen good and pleasant going together? Because not everything that's good for you is pleasant, and not everything that is pleasant is good. But it says here that when brothers dwell in unity, so when the body of Christ dwells together in unity, when we are eagerly maintaining that spirit of unity and the bond of peace, it's both good and pleasant. It's good because it reflects the oneness and the love within the Godhead. It is a testimony to the world, remember back John 17, so that the world may know. But it's also pleasant because it enables us to get through whatever we may face. It doesn't matter what it is. Look at the, the Acts New Testament church. They were being thrown in prison. They were being persecuted for their faith. And at that crucial moment when given the opportunity to either whine or complain or to say, you know what? We're not going to let this affect us in one way, shape, or another because it's all about God. It's all about Him being glorified. It's all about the gospel good news going forth, people getting saved, and the church of God growing. Amen? Amen. Amen.